went a little long in worship. I don't know if you noticed that, but how many love to worship God? Come on. <clears throat> there comes a time, I think, in a service where people really do experience the manifest presence, not just the synergy of people's hearts pointed in the same direction, because sometimes, I don't know if we uh, know the difference between when God's in the room or there's just energy in a room. But when God comes in a room in the sense that he manifests because God's everywhere, but he reveals, it's his revealed presence, his manifest presence, that people's hearts bow in such a way where not, and I don't want to say this in a sense where this is how we should live all the time uh, on the Sunday morning, but we forget about the clock and we forget about what we have planned. We forget about uh, you know, what's next, so to speak. Like when the worship leader is leading worship, you know, when you hit a song and it's like, it just changes everything and you forget about the next song, don't you? The next song that you won't even, you might not even get to the next song. I mean, there's times as worship leaders that, and I know Chris will understand this. So other worship leaders, it's like you have three songs planned and you don't even get past the first one because God's glory shows up. We should anticipate moments like that, but there comes a time when our hearts are oriented at Jesus in a service, in a gathering, in a holy gathering like this, where, you know, when we come together, it's not just a gathering, though. It's an assembly because our hearts are joined in the presence of God. It's so powerful. Um, But what happens is, is our hearts bow in a place where it doesn't matter what's next because all you want is what's happening right now. And it's like those moments where you want to freeze time. You know, I've had many moments like that with my beautiful bride. Uh, we had a chance to get away last week. And, uh, and we went to a little like conference gathering uh, with some friends in Sacramento area. So we spent a little time in San Francisco. We love that city. It's a broken city. Uh, but Jesus is ravished over that city and the people there. And so we got some time. And there was a couple times, like at lunch with my bride, I just wanted to say, time out. Just freeze this moment. How many know that there's moments like that in the presence of God where the lover, listen to me, the lover of all lovers is penetrating areas of your heart that you've never opened to anybody. It's like what we've guarded our whole lives. We say, you're worth, Jesus, you deserve all of this. We guard areas of our heart, which is good. I mean, we got to guard our hearts. But then we find somebody who's worth our whole being. That's him. And that's what happens in the presence of God. We, we just say, yes, I'm yours. Last night we had the opportunity to worship and pray in here and take communion. And, uh, and it was an awesome time. But I remember my wife was praying something. Or maybe somebody was singing something. I don't remember, but it was like a... Like, Lord, we just give you everything. And we were singing the song, all I have is yours. All that I am is yours. And there's moments of worship like that that are so profound and holy. And I want to exhort you. This is not my message. Maybe it'll become my message because I'm not sure what's going to happen next. But I want to encourage you that don't miss those moments in God. Because those moments will change your life forever. One encounter with God can change your life forever. There's times I look back and I see people bawling and I'm like, yes. That's why seven years ago when we started the church, we gave it the name Encounter. Because we believe that 
that we are created to encounter God, not just read about Him, not just talk about Him, not just pray for miracles or hope one day, you know, or pray for the harvest, that one day the harp. No, experience it now. And although maybe we don't experience everything now, we do in a measure and it increases. But God wants you to encounter Him and He wants you to encounter His love. And that's why we do what we do. And so, um, man, I'm just... Uh, I'm so blessed right now. God is so good. One more time. Can you just lift your hands with me and just thank God for his presence? How many can just sense his presence strong right now? Maybe it's just up here on the carpet. This carpet's holy or something, but it's the Holy Spirit. We love you. We're made for you. Our hearts are made for you, God. We don't need to move to the next part of service. We just need to say yes right now. And we thank you that something is unfolding, something is stirring, something is shifted, and it's powerful and it's real. And we say yes. I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, bless every person in this building. Let them not leave the same. Save, heal, deliver, restore, touch every area of their life. We love them. We bless them. You love them beyond we could comprehend. Your love is relentless and unfailing and everlasting. You love these people. They're precious. And I bless them. I bless them and I honor them right now. I, I feel like the Lord is a blessing. I just feel like this word um, about uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and people that have that, that on them and even people that are uh, even people that are managing, supervising, directing CEOs, CFOs, things like that. Uh, if you if you're an entrepreneur or business person, I just feel like the Lord wants to bless you and not don't just think, oh bless finance. Yes, but in every area of your life. And and here's the thing about somebody that carries that, they are a king. They they carry something that, that, can, that can release something in the kingdom because it takes finances to do things in the kingdom. But the reason God blesses people like that is, you know, the most wealthy, the wealthiest people in the world are generous people. Yes. I should tell you something, you know. Sometimes we, 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 just, we, we just hold on to it. You know, you can have, uh, you can love money and be extremely poor. You can worship mammon and, be, and have nothing. Matter of fact, it usually goes hand in hand. We're always looking at rich people like, oh, they love mammon. It's usually the, the people who have nothing that worship money, that love money. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Hello? Money can be your friend. You need money. Hello? All right. I'm not preaching. I'm not taking another offering. I just want to encourage... Now, now everyone's happy. What the heck, man? <laughs> if you are a business owner, entrepreneur, can I just pray for you right now? I just, I believe God wants to bless you. There are moments in life that we are, we're called always to steward what God's given us. But there was a moment recently, uh, I would say a few months ago where the Lord uh, really impacted my wife and I's life in a big way. And it was, and I totally believe it was because we chose to steward something well. And I'm not saying 
like we, we deserved it. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. L- listen, there are rewards when you posture your heart in the right way. And so there's a reward coming for business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, directors, managers, supervisors, people. And you know what? There's even people in here that feel like raising their hand, but they don't have that title. But you know that's who you are. Raise your hand up. We're going to pray for all of you. Can we just do that for a minute? Let's just, who has faith for that? And who wants that? So Lord, bless every single person in that area. I feel like in, in the back section over here, there's people that are, I'm not trying to be, listen, I'm not, I can barely see, but I really feel like there's someone over here that the Lord is just giving faith to dream bigger and do what God's created you to do. And you know, the scripture in the Old Testament, power to make wealth, not to hoard it on ourselves. We don't believe in the prosperity gospel. We believe in the gospel and the gospel changes lives and causes us to prosper in every area of our life. Come on. And we're not afraid of that. We don't have to, you know, I'm not, I'm afraid. I can't touch money. Some brother one time's like, I can't, this guy, I can't touch money. I'm like, you ain't Jesus, bro. You're not that holy. Come on, somebody. So listen, Father, we just pray blessings over every person that is dreaming big. Lord, we pray open doors right now, supernatural open doors in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you seal it with praise? Listen, I I usually, I don't hardly ever do that unless I really feel like the Holy Spirit is arresting my heart. Last night we were praying and, and I got interrupted by the Holy Spirit. I was about to hand, hand the mic over for my wife to pray. And then the Lord interrupted me to pray for somebody else. And don't you love interruptions from God? Like God, you can interrupt me anytime, but no one else can, inter- oh, except my wife. She's allowed to interrupt. I mean, those of you that have been married more than five years know, you know that your wife can interrupt you at any time, right? Men? And, and you know the, the best thing that you could ever say in your entire life is, yes, honey, you're right. You're always right, honey. You, can, you should write that down, actually. If you're getting married, plan to be married, men, or you're married under five years and you haven't learned that yet because you're like, whatever, pastor. This is the only time you're preaching false doctrine right now, pastor. <laughs> nope, I'm not. I'm, trust me. Rochelle, right, honey? You're, you're right, honey. Yes, honey. Oh, thank you, Lord. God wants your marriage blessed. So I'm just trying to give you some wisdom. You want to bless marriage, just agree with everything she says. That's just life, okay? And sometimes life deals you a nasty card. It's just the way it goes. No, I'm just messing with you guys. Oh, thank you, Father. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. I'm going to try to be uh, brief and, uh, wow, it's 1121. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but we're going to, man, I just feel like the Lord wants us to uh, talk about encounters and, and the harvest. I feel like we're going to step into an area where um, not only we're going to continue to see increase and, you know, a lot of times churches, uh, the attendance decreases in the summer and, and summer's here, but attendance hasn't decreased. Come on, somebody. But, but I believe that God wants to brand our hearts with the harvest and, uh, and what it means to be light. You know, um, it's funny. We have all these ideas. I mean, I mean, we have a lot of great ideas that never happen, right? 
Is anyone else like that? I have so many inventions. You know, I have like a million inventions, no patents yet, none at all. Um, but we have a lot of definitions of things, and, and, the, and maybe the definitions are actually hindering us from the revelation because our definition's limited, or maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's actually not even what we thought at all. You know, it's kind of like when we read the scripture, we can read the Bible, and, and sometimes we have so many different lenses on how we interpret the scriptures actually looks nothing like Jesus. Like you could read the Bible more than anyone in the whole world and it could not lead you to Christ depending on what you're, the lenses you're reading through and the orientation of your heart. Amen. Um, and, and so, I mean, you, you could actually just read whatever scriptures you want to string together and you could kill in God's name if you wanted to. And, and be no different than extreme Muslims. I mean, and so we've got to be careful with the lenses that we read. And so I want to talk to you about what does it mean to be light? What does it mean to be light and to shine light? Because I don't know about you, but I, I didn't really like grow up in the church um, like all you holy people that are in here. Who here got saved when they're like 17, 18 years old? Anyone? Oh, you are my family. We're family. All you other people, you're too holy for us. And I saw you up here worshiping at the front. I'm just kidding. I, I, I want to um, talk to you about this because I feel like the way that as Christians we represent God sometimes, not only is he misrepresented and we need to represent him, but I feel like sometimes what we think being light is is actually just being obnoxious. And a clanging symbol. Why? Because we don't have love. And, and light doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's like the old song. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We think that that means I'm going to stand on a corner and just quote a bunch of scripture. That means nothing to the people walking by because they don't understand it. And they probably harden their heart to God because of that same concept of just reading something and not understanding it and thinking, well, that's not God or whatever, or, or condemning somebody. You know, if somebody feels condemned, then they don't understand what light is. But you could be a horrible sinner and be exposed to light and not feel condemned at all. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hear my heart. Because sometimes we think light is equivalent to being self-righteous. Or we think light is equivalent to being extremely religious. Jesus rebuked long prayers. Isn't that wonderful? So next time you sit down to eat with, a, with somebody, with a family, you just make sure, hey, don't be starting praying for the missionaries. We do that in other times. The food is hot. Are you passionate about that kind of stuff like me? I'm passionate about it. I pray too. I love praying. You can ask my wife, I'm praying in the Holy, but when it comes time to eat, it's time to eat. There's a time for things. And you know, when it's time to eat, it's time to eat. It is what it is. It's like kids, it's time for bed. Go to bed. The food's hot. Don't be praying for the missionaries right now. If you want to pray for the missionaries, you can go in the foyer or you can go in the front, the formal living room. Amen. Jesus rebuked long prayers. 
Will you look at the person next to you and say that with authority? Jesus rebuked long prayers. Now, I better be careful because I better not be too long-winded. I haven't even read a text yet. I'm falling under my own condemnation. So I I want you to understand that being light is not equivalent with being self-righteous. Jesus rebuked the people that were religious, not the sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. He came and served them and loved them. Zacchaeus was climbing up in a tree, which by the way, I I could tell you a horror story. My first experience in Sunday school ever was sitting in front of 30 kids. And I walk in late because we got to church late. Who loves getting to church late? Not me. So I get to church and the Sunday school teacher's like, oh, we have a new, and that's what her voice is really like. We have a new kid. (laughs) What's your name? Zach. That's what I sounded like. And, and she's like, okay, kids, let's sing him a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. And I'm standing there. Like completely embarrassed. Anyways, Zacchaeus, back to my sermon, climbed a tree and looked for Jesus. How many know that he was a ripoff artist? And what did Jesus say? How dare you? Jesus looked at him. He looked at him eye to eye. God cannot look upon sin. It says it in the Bible. Read the next verse. The prophet says, then why do you look upon evil? If God can't look upon sin, then you're denying the incarnation because Jesus was God incarnate. He looked right at sinners. What do you think? He's sitting at at the table with a sinner and he's like, well, I'm God. I can't look at you, but I'm going to enjoy this meal. Will you pass me the bread? Hey, who has the hummus? Judas, will you stop double dipping? He could never look at Judas, right? No, God looked right at him. God looked at Zacchaeus and said, I want to go to your house today. Oh, come on. Being light is not, I don't know if I'm going to get to John 4. Being light is, I'm just letting everybody know now, is not self-righteous. It's not condemning. It's not condescending. It's being healing. It's serving. It's loving. It's being humble. It's a, it's a holy fire, not a hurtful fire. It's a humble love, not a condescending love. It's being what Jesus was. He rebuked the people that went to synagogue all the time. But the people that were, dri- that were out there, he loved them. He, he loved the broken. He visited the woman at the well who was a half Samaritan. She was a Samaritan, so she had Gentile in her. She was not the people of God. She, why, was, why was he speaking with her at this well? It was in broad daylight. The Bible says it was noon. You can't get any more daylight than that. Hello? He did in broad daylight... Because he is light. He met with a sin, maybe a sinful woman. I mean, we don't know. She's an adulteress. It doesn't say that. She could have been rejected over and over and over again. In the Greek, uh, some commentaries say that when she said, when he says, the one that you're with is not your husband, it was the one that you're contracted to or engaged to hasn't set a date yet. Think about that. Like maybe she'd never been chosen and then the seventh man in her life, Jesus, chooses her to bring revival to a whole people group that were outcasts, that the religious system had completely discarded. But it says that, so Jesus shows up at noon, broad daylight. Now he didn't meet with religious leaders in broad daylight. 
Nicodemus came to him by night in a previous chapter. Come on. Why? Because Jesus is showing his heart that is coming to include all of humanity in this covenant that he's about to make with this finished work. All of humanity included in this love. It's a fulfillment. I could take you through scripture, the beginning of some of the gospels, the beginning of the book of Acts. It's the message Peter preached when 3,000 people got saved. He didn't preach heaven and hell. He preached the fulfillment of the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenant, which is a promise that your seed will bless the entire world, that the entire world would be included. Listen, the tabernacle of David it is not, I'm going to burst some of your bubbles. It's not a 24 seven house of prayer. It is the inclusion of all of humanity in the heart of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you could apply to that if you want, I suppose, but if we're going to do hermeneutics, right in a historical context and understand why he said what he said in the book of Acts, quoting from Amos, I'm, I'm speaking of the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is about the inclusion of humanity. Because that's the heart of God. God is not exclusive. He's inclusive. You want me to say it again, sis? Carla, you're awesome. God is not exclusive. He's not an elitist. He's not a Pharisee. He's not an omnipotent Pharisee. He's a humble servant that gave his life and that loved the sinner and the broken. And he was the light of all lights And he didn't shun the sinner or the broken. He pulled them close. He didn't push them away thinking, I don't want to be defiled. He touched them and sanctified them. Because that's power. That's God. That's that's who he is. He's the healer, the forgiver, the savior, the lover. He's not not this this church person. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? Jesus meets with a Samaritan in broad daylight, but he meets with Nicodemus at night. Shouldn't it have been the other way around? That would have really blessed his ministry. I could drop the mic and walk away, but I got more to say. That would have really done good for his ministry. Jesus, what were you thinking? Nicodemus was a ruler in the synagogue. I mean, he was rich too. Historically, This could be Hebrew idiom, but it says that he was so rich. This is history of Nicodemus. He was so rich that he could have funded all of of Jerusalem for 10 years. Now, that could have been a Hebrew idiom for just extremely rich, right? Really rich, like you got a lot of money. Nicodemus was rich. He was a ruler in the synagogue, but Jesus comes to, he comes to Jesus at night, probably because he's afraid. But think about it. Now, Jesus could have said, hey, hey, how's it going, bro? Can you meet me tomorrow at noon in the temple? Because I got to go. The disciples are waiting for me, and I'm hungry. The hummus is waiting. They probably didn't eat hummus. I'm just trying to, you know. The the Mediterranean pizza is hot in the oven, and I got to go. We're breaking bread, drinking some wine. Yes, Jesus drank wine. He wasn't a Protestant. The sinners are waiting for me. They're, they're hurting and broken. I'm going to go love them. So I'll see you at the temple at noon. No, he didn't say that. And, and Nicodemus, you read the story in John 3. Here's your homework. Read John 3 and 4. But John 3, he's like, we believe you're a teacher of the law. Yet you're meeting with him at night and you don't 
receive him. And he even says, Jesus said it. He said, you people don't receive him. What do you, if I was Nicodemus, what do you mean you people? <laughs> what are you trying to say? His people, the Jews did not receive him. So Jesus meets, see, see our definition of light has to be the way that, the way that God created it to be, which is light is healing. Light is not condemning. You know, if you read John 3, when he says, God so loved the world, let's just read this part here. And then, and then we're going to talk about this in the future in, in John 4 about the harvest. Because um, I believe right now is the time of the harvest. In John chapter 3, we all know the verse. Let's read John three sixteen. John three sixteen. Everybody knows it. Come on, you could probably say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now look what it says, for God didn't send his son in the world to condemn, but he, to save the world. Now, now the world, world is not just certain people, it's cosmos, it's all of humanity. First John says he, you know, John is writing and he's saying, listen, he didn't just die for your sins, but the sins of the whole world, cosmos, is a Greek word. You know, you can't read like at the end of Matthew, it says, I'll be with you to the end of the world. You know, there's different parts of scripture we read that and it's not world it's not cosmos it's the age or okimene it's like there's different words uh, and so sometimes there's bad translations but in right here he's saying god so loved the cosmos every human being on the planet and he doesn't value one over the other creed color nation Barbarian, Scythian, Greek, Jew, slave, free. Come on, somebody. We read the New Testament. This is the gospel that Paul preached that in Christ, that doesn't matter anymore. And so here's what he says. He says, he didn't come to condemn the world. Say amen. amen. But a lot of people say, well, read the next verse. Okay, let's read the next verse. I'll, I'll do what you say. Guy on the street corner that yells at people thinking he's light. Psh. You know what, seriously, you know what I want to say next time I run into one of those dudes? You repent, bro. <laughs> Who's to say you're not going to go to hell? What'd you do last night? I'm just messing. <laughs> Mr. Perfect and Holy Man. <laughs> Let's read the next verse. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the... God's one and only son. He's talking to Nicodemus and he just mentioned, let's, we're reading the next verse. He just mentioned how they didn't believe in him. Now, mind you, understand that in 70 AD, about 40 years from now, which he talks about in Matthew 24 and Luke, the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is ransacked. I mean, the major destruction is coming on the people of God, the Jewish people of that time, the Hebrew people. There was major destruction coming. That's why he says, when you see the army surrounding the city, run. Now, this is church history. However you want to interpret Matthew 24, that's great. But Jesus is saying, you didn't, you're not receiving the people, or you're not, as the people of God, you're not receiving me. So he says, if you don't believe, you're condemned already. So I read the next verse. Now let's go even further. Let's read the next verse. Who wants to read the next verse? Let's just read what the Bible says. Come on, somebody. Verse 19. This is the verdict. This is the judgment. This is the condemnation. What is the condemnation? This is the condemnation. They're condemned already. Well, what do you mean they're condemned already? They're condemned. So why do we preach love to sinners? 
I'm a little conf- This is the condemnation. First of all, he's talking to the religious people, but he says, he who does not believe, believe, this is the verdict. Some translations say, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Now, who's meeting with Jesus at night? The religious dude. Who Jesus meet with at noon? The Samaritan woman, the one who wasn't 100% Hebrew. Hello? This is the light that has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, when a sinner opens their heart and comes clean, like John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Now, that's always the the highlight or the the caption. If you notice the thought, it says woman caught in adultery. What it should or could be titled is dudes caught throwing rocks. Anybody throw rocks when they're little? Oh, man, I got in trouble. We, We had nothing else to do. It was so boring. So we threw rocks at cars. I'm sorry. I wasn't saved yet. I was like 13. Don't act like you never did nothing. You did it in your mind, so you did it anyways. I'm just, we throw rocks at cars. So in John 8, it's the woman caught in adultery or guys caught throwing rocks. Because the verdict in that was, neither do I condemn you. Hello. You can't just read one verse after John 3, 16. And then make that your theology. Let's read the whole thing in context. Who's he talking to? What is light? He meets with the religious dude at night. And then he starts talking about the contrast between light and day. And it's not a coincidence in John 4, the next chapter, he meets with the Samaritan at noon. It doesn't get any more light than that. Noon. Amen? Interesting. Not only is the the writer of this gospel brilliant and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's brilliant. And so you, you read here and it, and it goes on and it says, everyone who does evil hates the light. So people that want to hold on to their sin, they're going to hold on to their sin. People that don't want to open their heart to the love of God. But when most sinners don't want to hold on to their sin because it's funky and it's hurting them and they want freedom. But there's something deceptive about deeds done in darkness that are, I believe, the deeds that Jesus mostly rebuked in the scripture are those religious deeds. The religious deeds. Why is it that we think sometimes light is equivalent to being self-righteous or quoting scripture all the time? Sometimes Christians, hear me, I want us to let God brand our heart with a passion for the harvest, but that doesn't mean we need to go out and try to get a million people to pray some prayer with us. Sometimes we got to be quiet. Sometimes we just need to open our hearts enough to listen to someone or maybe even build a relationship with them. It's called relational evangelism. Maybe it's like standing at a well at noon and saying, hey, I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? Because everyone's thirsty. And Jesus has water to give them. So let us be light and salt. Light heals, salt preserves. God hasn't called us again to him. The people that don't like light, they're going to feel condemned, but it's just because they're holding on to darkness. 
That's the understanding of the return of Jesus. It has been for many years. This is the way people have taught it. The, the physical return of Jesus, he returns in all of his glory. And at that moment, final judgment, people that love light, they turn to him. People that love darkness and hold on to their sin, they turn away from him. But I think in this context, Jesus isn't talking about Zacchaeus or the woman caught in adultery because we read it a few chapters later. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did he ask her to stop sinning first? Now, just I'm just asking what the Bible says. I'm not saying build a theology around it. He didn't, did he? He just said, go. see, I think repentance... Turning to God, turning away from sin, reorienting your entire life at Him. The process of repentance becomes so much more real. First of all, the fact that you turn to God is because of His grace. He's drawing you with loving kindness. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit. He's drawing all of humanity. Some people are just like, no thanks. They're turning away because He won't violate your will. But I believe that repentance is ongoing, changing the way we think happens when we understand how loving and good God is. It's the kindness that leads us to repentance, but it's the kindness that continues us in metanoia, which is the reorientation of our thoughts, our hearts, our lives, and everything that we are. Why? Because God, you're so full of love. Are you hearing me? It's not a message of condemnation that brings what we call conviction, and then somebody, oh, I need to get saved. And there, God will use stuff like that. I saw a quote on Facebook yesterday. The first great awakening was sinners in the hands of an angry God. I think it's the worst sermon ever preached, if you ask me. Jonathan Edwards, it's very Calvinistic, and I think that the view of God is extremely Greek, philosophical, and pagan. Now, you could string verses together and come up with that theology if you want. But if your theology doesn't look like Jesus, Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Let's read our Bibles through the revelation of who Jesus is. But I saw this quote. That was the first great awakening. But the, the awakening that's happening now is saints in the hands of a loving God or sinners in the hands of a loving God. Something to that effect Maybe we missed what being light really is. It's not being self-righteous, condemning, obnoxious. It's serving, loving, taking time, listening, dining with people, opening our hearts to people, being there, weeping with those who weep, loving the broken. Come on, feeding the poor, taking care of the widows, going after the orphans. Not just our idea of what being light is. Like these guys on the corner. I know I keep talking about these guys in the corner. I'm sorry. And if you're a guy in the corner... Get saved after this message or a gal on the corner. But I, I, I think that th- this, this understanding of like they're doing God's will is just, it's so twisted to me. And I believe God wants us to hear and, and understand, you know, that being light is, is being Jesus to people, which means I'm loving, I'm serving, I'm coming under, I'm not condemning. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And when we represent or represent him, man, the harvest is all around and there will be an explosion of souls. You know, I want to go back to the Acts thing just for a second as we close. Peter, I would say this, the gospel in the book of Acts that the apostles preached, 
was not about an afterlife, heaven or hell. Do you realize that? The only historical book we have in the New Testament, they never, you do not see them preaching this idea that if you don't, you know, you know, the, the classic message is, God forbid, but if you go out today and get hit by a car, you don't know where you'll spend eternity, heaven or hell. Whoever went to one of those heaven or hell things, did, you, did it scare the crap out of you and did you get saved? Anybody get saved from fear? I did. I didn't want to go to hell. That's how I got saved. You guys aren't being honest. God can use a donkey. He can use stupid sermons too. So, amen? Quote me. Tweet me. Go ahead. Listen, I believe that we've got to get this. Peter was not preaching on heaven or hell. It doesn't matter if, well, heaven and hell, that's not the point. Yes, is the answer to that. But the point is, is he's preaching a message of the, the good news that Jesus is Lord. And he fulfilled the covenant of Abraham and of David. And that now the message can go out. And, you know, Peter preaching a message that he didn't quite believe holy because he was still racist until later on in the book of Acts. He had to have it. He had to go into a trance. That's another message. But sometimes we preach messages we don't wholeheartedly believe yet. Because we're, we haven't been exposed to what light really is. And when we have that revelation, just keep our eyes open and keep our hearts open. Because there's people out there that need healing and freedom. And God is so passionate about setting people from their path of destruction. That he wants people to know what his love really is so they can represent him. And not walk up to someone and tell them how nasty they are. They already know that. Amen. They need to know that they're valued and loved by God. They are worth something. They might not be worthy to receive a free gift, but they are valuable to the Father. Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your love, for humanity. We want to be light. We don't want to represent religion, which sometimes likes to manifest in darkness because of the fear of man or, or whatever. But Lord, we want, we want to experience your love like the Samaritan woman did in broad daylight, knowing that we're loved knowing that even if we got a, a bumpy past, we're still thirsty. And you, Jesus, have the water that we need to drink. And so I pray right now, not only would we just drink in living water, but we would get a revelation of how many thirsty people there are in this city, not just because it's desert and hot right now, but because they, they need living water, God. And we have the water to give them. We have the bread of life. We have the message that, that seems foolish. Lord, we thank you of your great love, the riches of your love. You know, Paul even talks about this is the mystery that the riches of Christ's love, read it in Ephesians chapter two, would be made known to the Gentiles. Wow. That he would choose to open up and make a new covenant with all people. 
Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for your love right now. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to say amen. I'm going to ask my wife, would you come dismiss, call our prayer team up.